Let me encourage you this morning to find your sermon notes. You can follow along as we go. Fill in the blanks. Talk about the question. Do it at lunch today with your family or this afternoon or maybe with your evening devotions. Think about it throughout the week. Most importantly, live the message that you hear. So our, our topic for today is scars. How many of you have scars? Anybody? Okay, uh, I'm not going to make you show them off. This is not a, a remake of the Jaws movie. We're going to pull up our pants. It's probably not appropriate in church, so we're not going to do that. But we all do have scars, don't we? Physical ones and also emotional ones and maybe even some spiritual ones. Hopefully they've all healed because that's, that's the, the whole idea behind a scar. You have a wound, maybe even a painful wound. But God has designed our body so that our skin then covers up, even though it still leaves a mark, and it's a great reminder. Hopefully, good memories, maybe some that aren't quite so good, but maybe you've healed from that traumatic experience. So I'm going to tell you a little story this morning about one of my scars. Now, this is one right here you probably never noticed. When we're shaking hands later on after the service, you can, you know... Look, look a little closer. Yeah, there really is a scar there. It's not just a little crease. It's not just old age, you know, creeping in there. It's, it's, a, it's a real scar. So let me tell you the, the, the whole story behind the scar. So when I was about seven or eight years old, I think there's a picture up there of me and my twin brother. Now, extra points if you can tell which is which. And we were playing outside like we usually did. We lived on a farm. Not a lot of toys, not a lot of things to do inside. So dad would always say, go outside and play. So in the spring, we'd, we had a routine. We'd do lots of exploring. We'd, we'd roam around to the creeks and the ponds, and we would hunt for fish and, and tadpoles and, and catch them. We would also pretend to be explorers. Now back in those days, lots of TV movies about Daniel Boone. So we would be Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett. And we would get either the real thing um, maybe a BB gun or a pretend gun. We'd, we'd use swords and spears and all kinds of weapons. It kind of depended on whatever Disney or John Wayne movie we watched on Sunday night. So I think we have the Alamo up there. We would pretend to be defending the Alamo. We would be pretending to be defending a wagon train or whatever it would, might be. But one of our favorite games was to pretend to be pirates. Now, we understood that real sword fighting is dangerous. And we probably shouldn't use a machete when we were sword fighting. Because you could really hurt yourself. You could hurt the other person. You could cut off an arm or a leg. So we played this game, and maybe you've heard of it, called Mumbly Peg. It's an old pirate game. And what you did is you would take, yep, Hal knows, you take, a, you take a, a pocket knife that Dana wasn't allowed, and, and neither were we. We weren't allowed that either because our dad knew that, that we would hurt each other. But the way the game worked is you'd only stand about two paces apart, and you throw the pocket knife into the ground as near the other person's foot as you could without hitting it. Because if you hit the foot, you lose. But whoever got the closest, you win. So my dad was a smart guy, and he would not allow us to have pocket knives. 
So instead, we got around his little rule, we used machetes. Now, again, we, 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 we didn't sword fight with them, but we played mumbly peg with them. So you would do that, stand a couple paces apart, throw the machete, which really was about that long. We called them corn knives. They had about a, a two-foot blade on it and then the handle. We used them to cut the, the corn stalks down when we would make sweet corn, or as we called them, roasting ears back in the day. So we did that. We got a little bored, so we decided up the ante a little bit, and we backed up several paces. And then we would throw the machete end over end to try and land as, as close to the other person's foot as we could. Now, you know this is not going to end well. So my brother was not the most accurate thrower in the world. He got a little wild, and his throw, literally with the machete this long, with the blade hit me right in the chin. And of course, there was lots of blood. I was kind of like the victim in a chainsaw massacre, you know, uh, movie. And there was blood going everywhere all over me. And I am yelling bloody murder at my brother, who is running away from me, not because he's afraid of me, but because he's afraid of my father, who is going to catch him and give him the whipping of his life. But he didn't. When he heard the screams, he came outside and he found me with all this blood and he scooped me up and he put me in the pickup and then he called for my brother and he got in the pickup with us and we went about eight miles to the nearest emergency room. He put ice on the wound and bandaged it up as best as he could, put on a new shirt and then when we got there, it turned out to be one of the best days that I had ever had. It was only four stitches, left just a little bit of a mark. I got ice cream as well, sympathy for my mom and dad and my older brothers, and then I could tell a pretty darn good story. You see, whenever anyone would see the scar on my chin, they would say, how'd you get the scar? And I would say, well, I was attacked by pirates. Let me tell you the story. You see, scars can lead to powerful stories. And that's what we have this morning in our gospel lesson. In John chapter 20, we read, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, and he stood among them. And he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then a few verses later, we read, Now Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, there's some amazing aspects to this story, not the least of which is that a dead man has risen from the grave and has now appeared to the disciples behind a locked door. But as I pondered it, it interests me to see that scars are a surprising feature of a resurrection body. I mean, wouldn't you expect something else? Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about 
what our bodies might look like when we are, when we are in heaven. Now, this is how I picture it in heaven. Perfect body. So, no marks from previous trauma or suffering. I would imagine that in heaven that there are no love handles and six-pack abs. I mean, I've never had those, but I would imagine that in heaven I've got it. And for those of us who have lost a little hair, lots of hair, baby, right? Lots, lots of hair. That's not what we see in Jesus. So the question, why would God allow the scars of Jesus to remain? Is it so that the disciples could be reminded of their part in the crucifixion? Was it so that that Peter would feel guilt again for abandoning his Lord on that Friday? Romans 8 says that there is absolutely no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. So this would be completely out of character for our God, wouldn't it? So I would submit that there are two reasons, and really they go hand in hand together. Jesus' scars, first of all, remind us of his suffering. Now, here in America today, in this 21st century, we have the idea that criminals, though they should be punished, it should not be cruel or unusual. That's not what the Romans thought at all. In fact, for the Romans 2,000 years ago, the more suffering, the better. The more cruel, the better. The more inhumane, the better. And so as we think about what Jesus went through, and I know we hear this on Good Friday a lot, but we need to be reminded the person who died on the cross literally died multiple deaths. Just a loss of blood. Beginning there, now, with my injury so many years ago, there was a lot of blood, and that's what head injuries will do. Jesus had a crown of thorns jammed on his head, not just for the pain, but for the loss of blood. And remember, he has been scourged or whipped, which is bad enough with a leather. I remember some of those from my childhood, just a leather belt on this part of the body. But now to be stripped down and to have a whip like we used on the farm with the cattle, with metal balls tied on the end or the bones of sheep that would rip into the flesh, and not just on the back, but all around the torso. 39 lashes were designed so that you would almost die, but not quite. Literally, your muscle would be shredded. Tendons and ligaments would be torn. The whip would bite into the bone. Not only that, you have nails driven through the wrist, so bones are shattered, and through the ankles. More loss of blood. You haven't had anything to eat or drink for hours. You're in the hot sun, and about the time that your body wants to shut down from dehydration and exposure, you have hallucinations that wake you up and realize again the excruciating pain. And finally, the thing that kills you is that you are out of breath. And if you've ever been in that experience where you cannot breathe, 
You know, the panic that overwhelms you. Jesus was trying to, to push up from this position on the cross with his legs, which are weak from loss of blood, to fill those lungs with air. Death is a relief. Except for the added burden, much more than the pain of the cross, the added burden of your sins and mine and all of the entire world. And so when we see those scars, we're reminded of the suffering of Jesus, which really points to his love, the reason for the suffering in the first place. In the Bible, we read those words that you know so, so well in John 3, 16, for God so what? He loved the world. That he did what? He didn't just say words, but he gave his only son. You see, love is just the other side of commitment. That's what I tell couples when I, when I do pre-marriage counseling, when they come together. They have to take this inventory. They're always worried, am I going to pass the test? And we talk about all the things that might, that might separate them. How to communicate better. How to resolve conflict. We talk about what they're going to do with the kids later on when they come and, and where they're going to go to church. But the most important thing hinges on just two statements. And they have to respond either with a one, I strongly disagree, all the way up to a five, I strongly agree. And we can tell almost immediately how this union is going to go by their response. One statement is, I will do whatever it takes to improve our relationship. I'll do whatever it takes. And secondly, I am committed to the institution of marriage. Love and commitment are just two sides of the same coin. When God said that he loved the world, it wasn't just platitudes. It wasn't just mere words. He backed it up with the action of sending his son to die for us. So those scars remind us of his love. And those scars turned someone like Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. We give him all this grief because the other disciples, they believed right away that Thomas would not. Until he saw Jesus in the flesh, until he could put his, his fingers in the marks and literally stick his hand in Jesus' side. But then when he finally did, what, is, what does he proclaim? You are God. The first time in the New Testament that Jesus is proclaimed as God. And so those scars turned a doubting Didymus, the name for the twin, into a, a devoted disciple. Thomas became the one who would go to India and share the good news with the people there. Thomas was the one who martyred, who gave his life after seeing the scars of Jesus. And so indeed, scars are a surprising feature of a resurrected body, but they're also the mark 
that we have on us that literally changes us forever. You know, when, when I had that incident so many years ago, and as that healed and I had the interesting story, I also have great and fond memories. Because every time I look at that scar, I see the healing that has occurred. But I'm also reminded that if that machete had been an inch lower, my life probably would have ended that day. And I'm reminded of the second and the third and the fourth and all the chances that my God has given to me to make a mark on this world, not for myself, but for him. And I'm also reminded of the love of my father. He could have run out and disciplined not just my brother, but me. I was just as guilty. I'd engaged in the same activity that he had forbidden. Yeah, he scooped me up in his arms. And he carried me to safety and he got me the help that I needed. And the ice cream on top of that. And it reminds me of my heavenly father who has these commands and these rules for us as well. And we know that we routinely disobey. Even when he says it in black and white, we're not supposed to do this. We go and we do it anyway. What a great reminder every time I see that scar of how much God loves me. You see, scars are God's idea. As we read in Romans, that when there is suffering, there's also perseverance. And perseverance builds up character. And character produces what? Hope. That there's going to be a better tomorrow and a better future and a better ending. So scars can be a summons to more fully commit ourselves to the work of Jesus. And scars are truly a reminder of the forgiveness that Jesus is one for us. This week, I would love for you to take the forgiving challenge with me to begin the reading in the book, which we have out there uh, in the hallway, to take it home. And either with your family or in a small group, just take those 15 minutes to read through the, the pages that follow and to, to discuss the question. It's a great acronym, the SCARS. What does it stand for? Well, let's put it up there, the S. For sin, just as we admitted earlier this morning in our confession, that we're all sinners. We've disappointed God. We have disobeyed him. And yet, every time we sin, it should not separate us further from God because, after all, we have the remedy of the cross. So it's really an opportunity for grace. There is that C, which stands for confession. It's just admitting what God already knows. You know what's so interesting about my scar and my experience? I always wondered, how did my dad get there so quickly? Well, he was keeping an eye on us. So does our God, our Father. He knows everything that we are about. Confession is simply admitting what he already knows. 
And not running away from him, but rather running to him. And that's what absolution, the A, is all about. Receiving forgiveness. Knowing that Christ has already paid the price. And the R for restoration. The relationship which should be separated because of our sin. Our relationship with the Father has been restored by what Jesus has done. And finally, the S, the sanctification. The freedom that we experience as God has restored us as his child. We also can share that good news, that freedom with those around us, with our family, with our friends, our neighbors and co-workers, so that they would experience the same freedom that we already know. So why don't you join me over these next 40 days going through and reflecting on your own scars. And hopefully they have all healed. And not just physically, but the emotional and spiritual ones. But if they have not, these 40 days are a great opportunity to experience the healing and the forgiveness that God wants for you. Christ's scars. They're the greatest mark that there has ever been on humanity. Certainly greater than any scars you've inflicted on others or even yourself. But wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be a tremendous story if this mark that Jesus has could also be a part of our lives as we restore others to the freedom that Christ has won. Amen? Amen. We're going to take just a moment this morning to recognize our 